ark out of? Gopher wood. Now, does anybody have any idea what gopher wood is? Because I don't have a clue. If, if Noah lived in Alabama, he could make his boat out of pine. You can find pine trees in Alabama all over the place. You could cut every one of them down, and in 10 years you could still have pine trees. Wouldn't it be okay if, if Noah just lived there, if he used pine trees? Would that boat float? Would that boat sink? Some of you are shaking your head, yes. And the fact is, that boat would have never got off the ground. That would have been the first recorded history of a submarine. That boat would have never floated. The wood was specific. When he said, I won't go for wood, he eliminated every single possibility on the planet with the exception of gopher wood. You see how specific God is when he says, I want this? What about Genesis chapter 11? One tower as good as another? What was the purpose of the Tower of Babel? We're going to build a tower to the heavens so that God cannot destroy us anymore with water. Why don't you just change what you're doing? If you go back to Genesis chapter 6, you'll see that God looks at the thoughts and the intents of man's heart and finds out that it's only evil continually. They don't want to change that. What we want to do is build a tower out of danger. If you just change that, you don't have to worry about building a tower. Did that tower help them or hurt them? Did God sanction that tower? No. Was it a good idea? Maybe you can get out of localized floods that way, or maybe you can get out of danger from invading armies that way. It's not going to be a good idea to try to evade God on his own planet, using his own material, trying to avoid what he said to do. Notice this, Leviticus chapter 10. You have Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. They take their censer. And they put on all the right clothing. They have the, the right mechanism. They put the right incense in there. And they go and get a fire. And they offer that before the Lord. Fire's fire, right? I, don't, I personally don't care where the fire comes from. But it is a specific for God. His specific was found in Leviticus chapter 16 where he says, I want you to get the fire from the altar of incense outside of the temple of worship or the tabernacle at that point of worship. Where'd they get it from? It doesn't matter where they got it from. They could have got it from one of a hundred places. I can tell you where they didn't get it from. How do you know that, Billy? Because verse 2 tells me they were consumed by that strange fire before God. Not because of the Britches that they had on or the clothing that they had on, not because of the, in, the incense or the censer. It was all because of strange fire. Strange fire. It didn't glow green or anything like that as, as it's burning. Strange here is the idea of unauthorized. It's just fire, right? It is un, until God expressly says, this is what I want. What about 2 Samuel chapter 6? <clears throat> Did you know before 2 Samuel chapter 6, do you know how many times the Philistines moved the Ark of the Covenant of God to Israel on an ox cart? 
at least four times found within the book of 1 Samuel, we see the Philistines moving that cart that way. So why was it such a big deal when, when David did it? Because the law wasn't for the Gentile. The law was for the Jew. And as a matter of fact, as you see that law being put out there, you have three sons, uh, Kohath, Merari, and then there's another son that his name is escaping me at this point in time. That they were all, uh, their families were all in charge of moving the tabernacle and all the things inside of it. Kohath's job, his family's job was to move the, the Ark of the Covenant. When they were splitting all of those things up and giving out all of the carts and everything that they were needing to, to move all of those things with, you know how many carts the, the family of, of Kohath got? Zero. You know why? Because you're not supposed to move it on a cart. You're supposed to move it on the shoulders of those sons. And so we're not giving you a cart. Why was it so wrong for, for David to move it on an ox cart? Because that wasn't the regulation. You remember that ox stumbled, right? And then what happened? Can you see him in your mind? Uzzah steadying that, that box. We look at that and, and we often think that's a, that's a great thing for Uzzah to have done. You don't want that box to, to topple off and, and break. Cost him his life. And I will still maintain this even today as we talk about it and probably still tomorrow. If Uzzah wanted to live, he should have never touched that box. God, that's, that's pretty drastic. No, that's God saying, this is how I expect these things to be done. Notice this. <clears throat> Excuse me, 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman comes to Elijah's house and he is covered from head to toe with leprosy. Elijah's servant goes out there and says, you need to go dip seven times in the Jordan River. To which Naaman walks away enraged and he says, aren't the rivers back home cleaner? Probably. They probably are cleaner. They're probably better rivers. They probably uh, are, are, are cleaner and better for drinking. They're probably all around superior rivers. Who cares? Those are not the rivers that were mentioned and that were told explicitly to go to that river and dip seven times. What if he would have gone back home and dipped in those rivers? He'd have been eat up with leprosy. What if he had only dipped six times in the Jordan? He'd have been eat up with leprosy. When you follow God's command, you follow all of God's command. One is not as good as another. What about one queen as good as another? Esther, the book of Esther. Why wasn't the queen Vashti good enough? Chapter 1. Because she would not dance seductively in front of the king's uh, cohorts there. They had a six-month party. Why was this queen chosen? Her uncle said, you may have been chosen for the express reason of saving your people. Would any other queen have worked? Nope. One was not as good as another. What about, have you considered 
Job chapter 1 and verse number 4 and verse uh, number 19. Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him. Would any other servant have worked? I'm going to tell you one who would not have worked. Have you considered my servant Billy? He would have failed. Job put up with a lot. And God calls him his servant. Out of everyone mentioned within that book, he maintains throughout 42 chapters that Job is his servant. What about Joel chapter 2? When Joel chapter 2 begins to speak about that one day that is coming in which the manservants and the maidservants will speak out in which they, they will all be uh, worshiping the Lord, those Jews and Gentiles, in one day just as good as another? Or is there something special that happens in Acts chapter 2 that I'm not aware of? How about this? Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, verses 8, 9, and 10. They were, or really Malachi chapter 1, verses 8, 9, and 10. The nation of Israel were giving gifts to God like they were supposed to. But as you look at Malachi chapter 1, verses 8, 9, and 10, he's going to ask them this. Why don't you take that lame, broken down sheep and you give that to the governor and see what he'll be satisfied? Yeah, what you want to do is bring the trash sheep that are left over and give that to God and say, God must be satisfied with that. I'm, I'm following his plan. Shake or nod, were they following his plan? No, because one gift isn't the, isn't the same as another. Let's go into the New Testament for a moment. Well, Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth, verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. Is there anything different about the birth of that son in that place versus the birth of a Son on September the 8th, 1976 in Birmingham, Alabama. Any difference? Shake your head this way. There's a lot of difference between that. One birth ain't as good as another. Matter of fact, his birth was foretold for millennia. And not only that, his is the only birth that was ever conceived in the same fashion that it was. That a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. Now you tell me what happened in Matthew chapter 1. That virgin conceived and bore a son who we're going to call Emmanuel, whose name means God with us, who is going to be born to take away the sin of the world. There's not another birth like that in the history of man. But Luke chapter 3 through about verse or through chapter verse or chapter 22 forget about his birth for a moment look at his life look at all the things that he did all the things that he taught all the miracles that he performed all to have people listen to him to say listen what you have been taught is going to send you to hell the guys that you've been listening to are headed in that direction and if you don't change you're headed that way too 
They're not following the law the way God intended it. They're following it in some sort of fashion where they have changed it so that it meets their needs. Was his life more important than mine? Absolutely. What about this? What about John chapter 18 through 20? <coughs> the death had been prophesied for millennia on a tree. We find him there. Isaiah will write that he, he, he will be so beaten that you won't be able to recognize him as a person. Isaiah will mention that the stripes that he will bear will be because of us. Uh, Psalm 22 will mention how he's going to scream out on that cross. It will mention of, of that cross itself. It will mention how people will be playing uh, uh, games of chance underneath that cross for his clothing. Is his death more important than anybody else's? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. One death is not just as good as another. Listen here, if I die for you, you're just going to be lost. What happens if he dies for you? What about John chapter 9? You'll see him in his life at the pool of Siloam. He meets up with a blind fella. He spits on the ground makes mud out of that and rubs it in that guy's eyes and tells him, go into the pool of Siloam and wash your eyes out and you're going to be healed with sight. What if he had gone to the pool of Bethsaida like in John chapter 5? Would that have been okay? No. What if you had come to me and you let me spit on the ground and make mud and rub that in your eyes? Were you going to be able to see? No. One is not as good as another. What about John chapter 11? Well, if I just stood at the, the tomb of your loved one and I called your loved one by name and I said, come forth. You think they're coming out of that tomb? But when he says it in John chapter 11 and verse number 36 and 37, as he says it, uh, Marshall Keeble probably has the best quote on this idea that I've ever heard. As he's speaking there and he says, Lazarus come forth, Marshall Keeble would, would uh, elaborate on the word Lazarus. And he would mention that it would be necessary for Jesus, the Son of God, to qualify who he wanted to come out of the tomb. If he simply said, come forth, every tomb on the, on the earth would open. You think I can just go to my grandmother's grave and say, stand up? I can. You think it'll do any good? One's not as good as another. What about Romans chapter 6? In Romans chapter 6, you'll read about the life of a Christian, the one who has put away sin, who's died to that sin, and has become a slave to righteousness. It doesn't matter. You could just live a life of sin, right? It'll all be the same. No, in Paul would write in Romans chapter 6, you can either live one or the other. One's going to lead to an eternity in hell. One's going to lead to an eternity with God. Now you've got to pick which one you want to do. One life isn't as good as another. What about Philippians chapter 2? What about one mindset? Let this mind be in you. Philippians 2 verse number 5. Let this mind be in you or this mindset be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
who gave himself, who took upon the form of a servant, who, who succumbed to death so that he could follow after what, what God would have him do. Any other mindset won't work. What about Acts chapter 2? Now let's get down to the meat of this thing. If all of those things, it is necessary to do it God's way, then what about the church? Is one church as good as another? Our problem is we think of this building in which we sit. Sometimes people around town will say, what church, where do you, what church do you preach at? And I will say, I preach at the 70 West Church of Christ. They say, where is that? And I say, it's the big red roof building on top of the hill behind uh, Malvern National Bank on Airport Road. What's the flaw in that statement? That ain't the church. That's just where the church assembles. We, we have the, the, the odd mindset that this building in which we, we are sitting is the church, and it ain't. It is those who are sitting inside this building who are. Now, how many churches are there in the United States today? Who says more than ten? Who doesn't want to play? fact of the matter is there's just one and there's only been just one since Acts chapter 2 we look at religious organizations and we we give them the moniker church when in fact that's that's not the case at all I told you Tuesday night of VBS I can stand inside of my garage all day long that doesn't make me a car I can say I'm a part of the church. I can say this. I can say those things. That doesn't mean it. What is, what is necessary of becoming a member of the church? That one church? There ain't but one church. Let's, let's look a little further. Hebrews chapter 2. Is there more than one salvation? You can couple that with... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, James chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. There ain't but one. One salvation for one church comes through one blood that spilt on a cross some 2,000 years ago outside of the gates of Jerusalem and anywhere other than that geographical point on the world is going to be too far. Any other time before or after is going to be too early or too late. That salvation's offered through that gallon and a half or so of blood that was offered on that cross that day. What about this? Let's go back to our question. Can a man simply accept Jesus and be saved? All right, shake or nod. What say ye? Can a man just simply accept Jesus and be saved? You're going to love this. Yes, provided, provided that it is not by the way I feel about things. Sometimes on Taco Tuesday, 
I eat too many of those. Dollar tacos. I can eat like a million of those. And my feelings that night are not great. <laughs> Throughout the, mor the, the early morning time, I think, why did I have taco number 11? Is that God trying to tell me something? Maybe, maybe about tacos it is. But that's not God trying to tell me something about his church or how to be a part of that. It's not, it's not by feelings. It's not some still small voice that you hear or some, some warm fuzzy feeling you have in your belly. That might be indigestion. It's not by simply acknowledging that Jesus was someone who lived somewhere sometime in history and he seemed like a pretty good guy and everybody else is thinking he's the son of God, so maybe I do too. That's not how it is. It's not by the fatality of something known as the sinner's prayer because you can't find that even in Scripture. It's not living as if I'm just a good moral person and, and those things will take me through because that ain't how that works either. Don't you know you can't do enough? You can't be good enough? Don't you know that without the blood of Jesus the Christ, you're not going to make it through? Notice this. To accept Jesus by the means of the Scriptures. It's done this way. You need to have an understanding of what God's Word says. Romans 10, 17, so the faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, For without that faith that comes by hearing and understanding the Word of God, without faith it is impossible to please Him. For they that come to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. That's step number one. If you don't understand God's law, how in this world are you ever going to do it? How to accept Jesus by the means of the Scriptures? Repent. Luke 13, 3 and 5. Jesus would say, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You have to change some things around. You have to change how you think about sin, and that changes the action. Confession. What am I supposed to confess? Am I supposed to come down and confess my sin? That's not what that is. Jesus would say, unless you confess me, now, none of y'all have sinned Jesus, have you? You're not confessing sin here. You're confessing the deity of Christ. Unless you confess that I am the Son of God, I'm, I, I'm not going to confess you before God. Jesus would say in John chapter 14 and verse number 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father. Here's one underlying a circle. But... By me. That's pretty simple to understand, isn't it? Notice this one. The act of baptism is an act of submission. Acts 8 and verse number 38, they see water and he says, what, what hinders me to be baptized? He said, if you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you surely can. That eunuch said, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the, the Son of the living God. And so they both get out of the chariot, both the Philip and the eunuch, they both walk into that water. Philip baptizes the eunuch in that water, and then they walk out. I don't know everything I know about Ethiopians or eunuchs, but I do know this. 
If I'm an Ethiopian or a eunuch and I'm traveling from Ethiopia to Israel to worship, <clears throat> I don't think there's a lot of Circle K's on that road where you can just stop and get yourself an 89-cent Big Gulp. You better carry some water with you. I'm guaranteeing you he had water. Why didn't they just stop and pour some over his head? Why was it necessary that he walked down in there and Philip baptized him in that water? Because that's the prescribed method. That's what it means to accept Jesus as by the means of the Scripture. Any other thing is to ask, is it just good enough to do it this way? Notice this, mankind will never, ever, ever be acceptable unto God unless he submits to the will of God because every sin you and I have ever committed has been committed against God. Now, you know how to become his child. We looked at that just a moment ago. Do you know how to stay his child? It's one thing to be added to the family. It's a whole other thing to be accepted by God. It's, remember, it's the difference between being converted and being baptized. Faithfulness, ladies and gentlemen. After I have put on Christ, I am required by the king then to be faithful to God himself. Faithfulness. Are you willing to do that? Is one plan as good as another? No. Is one blood as good as another? No. Is one cross as good as another? No. Is one idea of faithfulness as good as another? No, because ultimately it's God's idea of faithfulness that counts. He would write, Jesus would say in, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 10, Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. It would be Paul who wrote in, in 2, Peter, or 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 8, uh, that henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, but not only to me, but to all them that love his appearing. God mentions that faithfulness is a, an active uh, pursuit of him and a, a, a right of those uh, who will attain that uh, crown of righteousness. Answer this question right now in your mind and, and you, you are the only one who knows the answer to it. You going to get one of those crowns? You know the answer. I don't know the answer. But you do. Are you going to get one of those crowns? If you're kind of looking down and saying, uh, why not come back home? You can get one of those crowns. You can be faithful to God. If, if anybody can, you can. If you're not going to get one because you haven't been a, made a part of the family of God, come to God now, right now, while we stand and sing. There's a fire.